Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's this message. Uh, welcome. If this is your first time here, uh, my name is uh, Pastor Frank, one of the associate pastors here. Uh, if you came, if you're a visitor, welcome. If you came to see Pastor Brandon and he's not here, uh, don't be disappointed uh, because you have me. All right. So I do have a, um, I do have, a, we have a special guest with us today, uh, Cyril Gordon. He's going to come up here and, and speak with us for a little bit. But before we get into to, uh, with Cyril, I did want to talk about, about a few things. So, uh, like I said, Cyril Gordon is a miss, uh, is a mission partner of ours here at Rock Harbor. And so, what we've been doing, if you guys have been noticing, we've been posting, uh, been putting out a lot of material about our evangelism projects we have going on here at Rock Harbor. So uh, Cyril is a mission partner of ours. Uh, I consider him a friend. We go down there and we, we stand on, what do you call it, Gomorrah, down in LA, and we sit and, and we share Bibles and witness and pray. And so we do that down there. And um, one of you guys, you guys might not know this, but I've told some of this to our evangelism teams that it's because of Cyril and his, uh, what he has going down in Venice motivated when I saw that and I said, man, what an awesome thing. Let's see if we can do that here in Bakersfield. So I had the idea of going down to the Valley Plaza. And so this is, it's the same model. I got it. I stole it from, with his permission. I said, hey, Cyril, I want to do this thing, man. He goes, Frank, have at it, bro. And uh, same thing. I, I even took his sign, right? With his permission, we have a sign there at the Valley Plaza, and we set up and we, and we do the same thing, and it's fruitful. Two ladies got led to the Lord yesterday. It was, their, it was the right timing, right place. Uh, but, you know, like I said, we, thanks to Cyril, we were able to be encouraged and, and, and be able to set up and do those things. And so thanks, man, I appreciate all that encouragement, and he's done so... That's uh, due to his faithfulness and being out there. So um, that's about Cyril. And like I said, he's going to come up here and talk to us a little bit later about what he has going on and share what he does. And uh, so I'll leave that up to him. All right. So, But before we get into our, our message, I wanted to talk to you guys. I wanted to show you guys, and I'm sure you guys have seen this and you guys might already be aware, but just bring it back up. I know that you guys... Uh, we see the world, we see these things going on, but what I want to point out is that we as created beings from God, we are created to worship, amen? It is in, in us, within us, we are created to worship, okay? So we can go through many scriptures and see that you can point out like we are created to worship now, doesn't mean that we're always going to worship the right thing, right? Or the right person, okay? So that's what I wanted to, before we get into the text or uh, into the message, I did want to talk to a little bit about that. So as image bearers, like I said, we are created to worship, to worship, okay? We uh, have an understanding that we are created, we're going to worship God, we're going to worship Jesus, Yahweh, right? Society is going to implant other things to worship, other 
people to worship, okay? So I was looking through Scripture, and I found this one. It's in Philippians 2.10 through 11. It says, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to glory God, glory of God the Father. Every knee is going to bow. Every knee. There is not going to be one knee that is not going to bow. Everyone is going to bow. Here's another scripture that I was, uh, had came to mind. It says, Many enter by the narrow gate, for the wide is the gate, and broad is destruction. That, that way that leads, broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are many who find it. Excuse me? Few, sorry. I'm all few. Good thing you guys don't have tomatoes, man. Right. Few who find it. So what is that telling us? That there will be few who find it. It will be a small portion of who find it. And so we're going to look at how that involves you and I. Okay? So few will find it. And the reality of it is that it won't be droves coming through, okay? It'll be few. So my next point is this. You guys may have seen this. You guys may have experienced this in your family, in your friends, sharing, or just living your life. And they'll say, you know, you maybe get on a, on a spiritual level topic or conversation and they'll say, oh, I'm, not, I'm not a religious person, man. I, I, I don't, I'm not a religious, uh, I don't believe in these things, or I'm not even uh, religious, I'm not, uh, you know, you can even say, I, I don't even believe in God. I can be an atheist. And I scratch my head, and I think, man, you are religious, though. You do have a religion, because we can hear, we'll hear stories. I mean, we see it in our society, uh, commercials, social media, all these things that get put in front of us that want to take the place of God, right? So for some, this is their church. They go and have a service there. What is their service? This is their fellowship. This is their sacrament, getting drunk. Right? So they go to church. They're religious. They pay their tithes. Right? Just not to God. So you can see that in a person's mind. They'll say, oh, I'm not religious, man. Frank, I, I don't believe in God, or I don't go to church. I'm like, yeah, you do. You do go to church. Here's another one. Old casino, right? Marble floors. You can go there, man, and have 
get robbed by the one-armed bandit. The only people that make money in, in Vegas is the house. I hate to break it. I mean, you guys might know this, may have experienced this. There's no winning in Vegas. You might think of it. Here's your fellowship sitting around a poker table. Here's your sacrament. It's your money. How many lives have been ruined by gambling and putting their false God in front of the real God? Because we are created to worship, guys. We are created to worship. We just have to make sure, as we know here, we are worshiping the right God, the right thing. And I'm preaching to the choir, but there are people out there who are living this, living this lifestyle, man. And you can do, these are just a few, but we can go down a list. Like I said, we can sit here all morning and talk about all the things that get in the way of the Lord. It could be a person, it could be a relationship, it could be an item, it could be a job, it could be so many things that get in the way of the Lord that we put before him. So I bring that to your attention. Like I said, these are just a few of items that had come to my mind and I wanted to share with you guys. But like I said, we can put any of these things before the Lord. So today's message, we're going to look at the reality of eternity. That comes from Luke 16, 19 through 31. The reality of eternity. Some of you guys might be familiar with this uh, passage. This was Jesus when he was talking to the Pharisees. And it's a story about a rich man and a poor man. A rich man and a poor man. It says, verse 19, it says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple, fine and fine linen, and, and fared sumptuously daily, every day. Fared sumptuously. Okay? So he was joyful. He was outwardly joyful and, and had his possessions. He was dressed in purple, um, had this outwardness of, um, you know, living, lavish living, okay? It was lavish, all right? In that time, there was a belief, and it might still be with us today if you can identify it, that if you're righteous, then you're rich, so you must be doing something right because you have money. He's doing something right, so he's got money. So that's then, and we can, we can even pinpoint that today. And there's nothing wrong with having nice things. Please don't get me wrong. But let's not get mixed up that, hey, this person has money, so he's doing something right. And you guys have that understanding that, no, that's not always the case. Just because he has money, thou would not go to a person for advice if he wasn't doing the right thing. Verse 20 says, But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus who was full of sorts and was laid at his gate. Okay? So first off, in this time, Lazarus was outside of his gate. He was full of sores. At that time, where would he have been considered in society? He would have been at the lowest he would, have been up the, he would have been the outcast. No one would want to have touched him because he would have been unclean. So he's laying at the gate. And to even top it off, verse 21, 
He's desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So he's begging for crumbs of table. And during that time, they had used bread to wipe their hands, to wipe them clean. If they were eating meat, they would have used, the, they would have used bread to clean their hands. And so he was just looking for the crumbs, the sponge-like bread that would have meat juice in them. He was just looking for that. And like I said, to top it all off, the dogs came and licked his sores. Now, not only does he have sores, he's unclean. Now he has dogs coming and licking his sores. Even worse, he gets pushed even further down the social structure line. So verse 22, it says that also that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. So he gets carried off. It doesn't say exactly how he died. He's he's dead and gets carried off. Now here's the second part. It says the rich, the rich man also died and was buried. You notice how this time he says, and he was buried. When it's talking about Lazarus, it doesn't say that he was buried. It's pretty interesting. And being in torment in Hades, he was lifted up, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. So during that time, they would have went down to a place called Sheol. Some of you guys might be familiar with that place. It was a place where everybody went after they died. It was believers and unbelievers were there. There was two compartments, okay? And this is the scene that we're seeing. So the rich man sees Abraham, and then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in the water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. You notice how he calls father, he calls Abraham his father, right? So who, that's a hint of who Jesus is talking about. All right, so it's very clever how that is put that in there, clever in a good way, not sly. But we know that God is, is when he spoke things out, he was getting their attention. But Abraham said, son, remember that you in your lifetime, you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to there, from here to you cannot, nor can those from here, excuse me, from there pass to us. So there is a great chasm between there, between them. They cannot pass. So he sees him though on the other side and he's calling out to him, please, Please just give me some water. And he's telling him, you had your lifetime already. 
And notice how Abraham calls him son. Okay, so we're picking up on some little hints here. Verse 27, then he says, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. So he's pleading with Abraham, please send somebody to my house. I don't want them to be here. I don't want them to have to go through what I'm going through. This place is horrible. And again, we point back to, he says, I beg you, Father. Okay? So he's not calling him Father with a big F. He's Father. He's not the Father. And so Abraham replies, They have Moses and the prophets talking about the brothers. Let them hear, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes from them from the dead, they will repent. They will change their mind. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded through one rise from the dead. So Jesus is telling him in this story, we can send somebody over there from the dead They're still not going to listen. And besides, they have Moses, they have the prophets, they have the scripture. They have all those things to be, to have faith. See, Jesus was, prior to this story, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, right? And he was telling them, they were questioning him about money. And they were questioning him. They always questioned him and tried to set him up set a stare for him to ask him who should they tie to, ask him who, what about marriage, ask him about divorce, ask him about money. They were always trying to, to snare, put Jesus in a snare, but, he was, but he's amazing because he always had an answer for them. And so the Pharisees, the Pharisees they were lovers of money. They had an outward appearance of righteousness. Now, if you looked at them, they would have looked humble. They would have looked like maybe they don't have a lot of riches. Maybe they don't have a lot of cars and things that we think about today. You know, they would obviously wouldn't have had cars, but they wouldn't have had things that we think of. But they would have loved money. They would have loved, they would have loved riches. Kind of reminds me of somebody who's somebody who appears to have this outward holiness, someone who appears to have uh, this loving attitude of not loving money and not wanting things. Can anybody guess who I'm talking about? The Pope. You saw my slide. No, I'm joking. <laughs> it's the Pope, Francis Papa, whatever they call him. And most of you guys know that I uh, came out of the Catholic Church. And, uh, you know, one thing occurred to me, uh, one of our fellow pastor, David, he said, you know what? You know who people who are most uh, angry at the Catholic Church is former Catholics. 
And I said, that's what it is this whole time. People who have not come out of the Catholic faith, uh, you might agree that they might just lather they're there. But for someone who has come out of the Catholic faith can identify the lies that are being perpetuated to millions of people and to this day. So I, I found this on uh, Pope Francis's uh, Twitter account. You notice he hasn't been canceled, right? And just a little story, uh, backstory on this. What he's doing is he is uh, reaching out to the Catholic youth across the globe, and, he's, and he has this thing is called Economy of Francesco. If you can see the hashtag there on the bottom. It used to be a pound sign, but now it's a hashtag there on the bottom. And it's, uh, he had this uh, forum... And it was uh, used from all over the nations, okay? But what it was, it was like this whole green thing that they wanted, okay? They, they're trying to put together these green jobs and, these, and get this youth to push this whole green idea. As Pastor Brendan calls it, the green dragon. And that's all it is. And they spent, I, 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 watched, I watched this whole conference, it was probably like two hours, and you know, my family was like, what are you doing watching this guy? And so I, had, I wanted to go see and see what it was about. But to boil it down, basically it's this. Look at the world, he says. Look at the world of the eyes with the eyes of the poorest. You too will improve the economy if you look at all things from perspective of victims and the discarded. If you become friends of the poor and share their life, you will have share in the kingdom of God. How deceitful is he, yet he's trying to sound self-righteous, okay? So yeah, if you do that, if you go green, you are going to be poor. Basically, that's how I read it. Like, yeah, you, yeah, the Pope wants you to have a green, go green, and uh, share your economy with everybody, that you should be able to, we should, everybody should have the same outcome. Yeah, you will be poor. And so that's exactly what this is, is that he's stealing from those who want to work hard and he wants to distribute it. So yes, he had all these youth gathered in this conference and it was a big old ordeal. And good thing I hadn't eaten dinner because I wanted to vomit, okay? So uh, anyways, this is what he did. And so I wanted to point out to you, yeah, he loves money. He would like to act like he doesn't, he loves to twist the scriptures. So I just wanted to parallel that too, because when I was putting this together, I saw, oh man, this guy right here, uh, like we've heard, he's forerunner or he's probably an antichrist, little antichrist guy, but you know, definitely dangerous man and spewing his lies. Uh, so anyways, he's pushing that with the youth, so just give you a heads up on that. Um, so let's break this down. This is a story of two men. Okay, on one side we have a rich man, and on the other side we have a poor man. Okay, so who is the non-believer? I mean, excuse me, who is the rich man in this text? Okay, the rich man was in a it was a non-believer. Okay, the rich man is in that point in time the rich man. When Jesus was talking, he was talking about the Pharisees. And if you notice in the text, they were calling him father. At that time, the Pharisees would have, they would have known that they would have accepted that Abba, I mean, excuse me, that Abraham is the, their father, the father Abraham. 
and all things would have come through him, down through him. So that would have been accepted. So if you look at the text, Jesus is saying, he's calling him father. Oh, he's talking about us. So this is who he's talking about. But in a sense here, the Pharisee is the non-believer, okay? As someone who does not believe. The poor man in this story is a believer, okay? And he's not saved because he's poor, which the church of Rome would want you to believe, that just because you're poor, you go to heaven, does not, rich and poor, does not matter. So the poor man is the believer in this story. This would have been an example of today's rich man, rapper Lil Uzi Vert, implants a 24 million diamond in his forehead. Why? But he's got this exuberant lifestyle. He's about getting money. As you guys heard me preach before, it's all about getting money. Get money. And you can see this through social media. You can see this through uh, society. I don't even know who this guy is. I've never even heard of this guy. I just saw him, little Uzi Vert. You think this guy's a believer? I mean, I know we're not supposed to judge a person from a picture, but... I don't know if this guy faith, has faith in the Lord. I mean, he's got looks like an upside-down cross on his tongue. I don't know. But uh, anybody that would do that and have a 24 million diamond put in their head, they're living that lifestyle, that worldly lifestyle. I'm not saying that just because of that he's not a believer, right? But, okay. And just a side note, when I was researching this, I, just, I stumbled upon this. He was at a concert, did a stage dive, and someone ripped it out of his forehead. <laughs> Anyways, little side thing there. Yeah, we saw him in Venice. That's one of your guys. So it's, uh, like I said, this is just overindulgence. This would have been the, the lifestyle, the overindulgence and outwardness uh, lifestyle. Like I've said, we've seen it today. Um, you see it in many aspects of society, and, and uh, I don't have much time to go into you know, all that. But uh, So who's the rich man in the story? Let's move on. Who's the rich man in the story? So he's, the rich man is a metaphor for the Pharisees, okay? The rich man was the, is a metaphor for the Pharisees. They were proud. They were self-righteous. They were mockers, slanderers. They were unlawful. They pulled Jesus in in the night and had, an un, and had him in a court unlawfully. And they knew it. They knew, everybody knew what they were doing was wrong, but they did it at night. But the ultimate thing, the ultimate, uh, thing is that they were not believers. Obviously, they didn't believe in Messiah. They didn't believe who he was. So the experience that they will have for their unbelief is uh, deprivation, condemnation um, for eternity, simply for not believing. 
Okay, and someone and you guys might come across someone and say, "How can an unloving, how can a loving God put somebody do that to somebody? You worship such an unloving God. Who'd want to follow a God like that? So mean and so so evil. You'll get those people that say God is evil. Like, man, I serve a, a just God, and that one day He's going to come back and make things right. He's going to fix all of his wrongs." And I can trust and hold on to his promises because we know that God is a man of his word and he's going to come through. So we don't have to, we don't have to lose hope. We don't have to worry about what God is going to do. So what about Lazarus? Who is Lazarus in this story? Lazarus is the story of all believers. Lazarus is you and I. If you claim the name of Messiah, you're Lazarus. You're shunned. You're marginalized. You're disrespected, disenfranchised. You're put out. You're put out of society. You're looked down upon. And you're also looked as a criminal. Someone who's breaking the law, someone who doesn't abide by the rules. I mean, let's face it. They would rather have criminals than you and I. They would exchange us for criminals. And we're doing that, we're seeing that today. We see it play out to today. They would rather have Barabbas than us. They're screaming out from the crowd. We want Barabbas. Lock these Christians up and throw away the key. Kick their doors in, haul grandpa off to jail. Let's ruin his reputation. For what? For standing up for the truth, for standing up for preborn lives. That's us, guys. They would rather have that than have us. So what's the point here? Is that we should push through resistance to share our faith. We should push through to stand for the truth. Because as we know, times are going to get tough. We're going to get opposition. We may lose our jobs. We may lose friends. We may lose relationships. We might lose credibility in our social workspace or wherever you operate at. That's going to be the cost, but we have to push through. Because when you stand up for Jesus and you stand to serve him, you're going to get opposition. You're going to get cussed at. You're going to get lied about. You're going to get threatened. Threatened is someone to take your life. For doing what? Sharing, living, worshiping God. So we got to push through the fear, you guys. And I said, like I said, I know here we do that. We push through. We're equipped. But as a reminder, we, we have to stand in those gaps. So let's talk about the reality of hell. 
okay? Not really your soft Monday, Sunday morning message, right? And you know what? Usually here at Rock Harbor, you don't get that anyways. All right? But I wanted to bring up the reality of hell because it is a portion of eternity. And yes, us here, we know and we are waiting to be met in the sky, right? To be out of this place. But while we're still here, we have work to do. We have to be about our Lord's business at whatever cost that's going to make take. So the reality of hell is this, guys. That hell is a place where justice will be met out if people don't get saved. God cannot look, overlook evil. He cannot overlook that because he is a holy God. God sent God's love, excuse me, God sent Jesus through love to die on the cross for our sins that we could have everlasting life with him. But those who reject, the, it's a free gift, those who reject the free gift are going to be those who are going to be in eternal torment in hell. That should be sobering for us, you guys. That should be something that after we leave this place, that's real. It's a real place. Yes, we are heavenly focused. We know that, man, we can keep our eyes up and we can look up and we can wait. But the reality of it, that there is going to be a small portion of us, right? And we just read about it. Many are going to be going, not going to be going there. And we'll talk about what, how we deal with that a little bit in a few minutes. Hell is a place of torment. You hear people say, well, you know what? When I'm going to go down there, I'm going to have a party down there. We're going to go there and live it up. Woohoo! Like, no, you're not. No, you're not. I'll rather be in hell. I wouldn't. Because the reality of hell is real. The torment of hell is real. Hell is a place where people suffer. The torment seems to, it's going to include physical pain. The heat of the flames are burning their flesh. There's going to be mental anguish, emotional anguish, separation, isolation. It's the reality of it, guys. This is where people will go. Majority of people will go. And the most important thing is once you're there, you can't get out. It is a one-way ticket to hell, so to speak. Once you're there, you cannot get out. So it's irreversible. Once you're there, you'll stay. Hell is a place where many will go, like I've said. And here's the kicker. Many people will think that just because they're a good person that they're going to go to heaven. It's a delusion. I also heard another thing. It was early a few weeks ago. It said, there is many good people in hell and there will be bad people in heaven. 
by the grace of God, those who have turned their life away, given, turned their life away, first receiving, trusting in him for their salvation and being eternal with eternity with him. So I'm gonna wrap this up and I'm gonna call Cyril here up in a moment. But what is the answer, guys? Jesus saves. Jesus doesn't save us from ourselves, which some people will say. Jesus doesn't save us from being a bad person. Jesus saves us from the wrath, the judgment that's gonna come off of people who don't believe and trust in him. That's the reality of it. So when you ask, hey, who does Jesus save? What does he save you from? From his wrath, from God's wrath. He doesn't save us from ourselves. He doesn't save us from a bad life because we all know that we're living in times where um, who are Christians that are having rough times. So it doesn't, he doesn't save us from that. He doesn't save us from problems. He doesn't save us from any of those things. He saves us from his wrath. So I leave you with this, you guys. Whatever it is, wherever your walk is, wherever you work, whatever impact you can make, teacher, uh, anywhere, family member, grandparent, grandchildren, share your faith. Yes, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you some time. It might, you might think, well, I don't really know the scripture that well, or I don't know you know, if I can do that. All you have to do is leave a track. Leave a Bible track. Just do a drop and go, man. Hey, see you later. (laughs) That's what I told our evangelism class. Like, hey, there are many methods to share the gospel. And if you don't, if you feel like, hey, I don't want to approach, hey, just do a drive-by gospel track, man. And like, see you later. And that's what, that's what we do. Or if you want to engage, if you want, we have many uh, projects that are going on to get involved. So I leave that with you guys. Like I said, it's not a very up, you know, hey, we're talking about hell this morning, guys. Get your coffee and donuts. (laughs) So anyways, at this time, I'm going to turn it over to my friend and ministry partner, Cyril Gordon. Come on up, brother. All right. Great to be here. Wow. I'm so excited. Just uh, zipped up here this morning from LA, aka Gamora. I love you guys. This is like coming to my home church. Uh, My name's Cyril Gordon. I'm a a full-time missionary uh, down in LA, and uh, uh, I was the uh, first one in my Jewish family to come to faith back in 1993. I'm a Jew who was made jealous for Jesus by a Gentile. <laughs> Romans 11.11, uh, 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 11, salvation came to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. And that's what happened to me. This Gentile knew my God better than I did. And, I was, and I'm supposed to come from the Levites. And I was an, a modern Orthodox Jew at the time. And uh, that got me thinking, you know, the Lord talks about sowing seed in, in the Gospels. Uh, Jesus gives a whole parable about sowing seed. And uh, what happened to me recently, I had a brother come up to me. Dear brother, he's a missionary in Israel. Uh, I, I've done evangelism with him. 
and uh, he gives to my ministry, I give to his ministry, and he came up to me, and he whipped out this crisp $100 bill, and he goes, brother, I want to sow this seed into your ministry. I'm like, okay, praise God. And will you pray for me that God will multiply this seed? And then I was like, red flag, red flag, red flag. I don't think that's what the Bible says, and I don't think that's what it says in my Bible. So what is sowing seed that Jesus is talking about in the parable? I wanted to quickly run through this with you. Uh, In Matthew chapter 12, starting in uh, verse 3, Jesus is talking in a parable to the many people that were listening to him, uh, Jewish people. He says, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seed, fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, the Jewish people and the followers of Jesus that heard this, they're like, what's he talking about? Well, Jesus explains further down, uh, starting in verse uh, 18 of chapter 13 of Matthew. The Lord says, Therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, that is the seed, folks. It's not money. It's the word of the kingdom, the gospel. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. Then, he, then, then uh, this is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed indeed bears fruit and produces, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So when the Lord talks about sowing seed, he's talking about the gospel, folks. And it got me thinking, when in my life did God try to sow seed in my life? Well, looking back, we were the only Jews that lived in an Italian Catholic neighborhood in San Francisco. So I didn't get any seed there, okay? They just egged our house on Halloween and called it a day. Um, But looking back, I went to UC Santa Barbara, a party school, uh, as a non-believer, and I was heavy into the party scene. But sometimes these 
open-air preachers would come to the campus and stand on a box and, and preach the word with a Bible. And I liked to watch just because the people would heckle them, and I thought it was funny. But I was getting the gospel. Now, my soil wasn't really good at that time, okay? And it didn't hold. But I believe it was starting to break up my soil. Because when the next preacher came, I, w I saw him. Then when I graduated and I moved up to the Bay Area, I was living in near, uh, Berkeley in Emeryville. I was an artist. I had a big art studio. I was doing really well painting. I was showing in museums and galleries. And on my free time, I'd go hang out on Telegraph Avenue and uh, go to UC Berkeley. And I liked to watch the people heckle the preachers there. I didn't heckle, okay, but I like to watch it. <clears throat> Again, they were sharing the gospel with me, but they were sowing seed. But again, my soil wasn't quite ready, but it was breaking it and getting it ready for the day when, in 1993, when after I had started looking into Jesus, after having a vision and a and a dream. Uh, by the way, my testimony is pretty intense. If you like testimonies, I did bring a booklet that has my testimony and my wife's testimony, who's Jewish from New York, which means she's extra Jewish. <laughs> it's called Match by Messiah because it also talks about how we met in Hawaii at a church and three days later got engaged and two weeks later got married on the beach. Uh, anyways, I got that in the back if you're interested. Uh, but finally, in 1993, after I was looking into Jesus, but I kept getting the wrong Jesus for four years. I mean, I was grabbing anything I could about Jesus because I had had this vision of a man with a beard and a crown of thorns when I was calling out to the God of Israel. And so I went and I rented Jesus Christ Superstar, that movie. It had Jesus on it. I, I, I listened to Handel's Messiah when I was painting. I, uh, uh, I went to the psychics and asked them about Jesus. Got the wrong Jesus. Where's the real Jesus? Well, the Lord finally sent a true Christian to me. I met her. At my, my brother was going to Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo, and I went down there to help him do some moving. And he was renting from her, renting a room from her. And... I saw that she had a faith that I didn't have, a, genuous, a genuine peace. She, she knew my God better than I did. And I'm like, what is this Gentile doing with my God? I looked at her Bible. It was, it was all outlined and, and written up and, and looked like it had been read. And uh, it had the Old and the New Testament. I'm like, what's she doing with my book? I thought the Old Testament was for the Jews and the New for the Gentiles. Anyways, long story short, we go out to dinner uh, uh, all together with my brother and everyone, and she shares the gospel with me. And at that time, my soil was really starting to get ready. I don't remember what she said, but... Two months later, when I got into some trouble up in San Francisco and was locked up in SF County with several felonies hanging over my head, that's when my soil was really ready. <laughs> and I remember sitting up on the, this, I got the last bunk in this jail 
uh, there was 80 bunks, and I got the last one. And I'll never forget, it was the Jesus bunk. Somebody had etched in the wall on top of that bunk in big block letters, Jesus. And I was like, oi, why did I have to get the Jesus bunk? But it was on that bunk that I cried out to God and said, get me out of here and I'll do anything. The next day, all the charges were dropped. I didn't even have to go to arraignment. And I got out. And uh, uh, two months later, after this Christian had sent me books about the real Jesus, uh, Evident That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell, um, more than a carpenter, and uh, through the many prophecies that Jesus fulfilled, I saw that he was what was missing in my life. And uh, my soil was ready, folks. And uh, by myself in my, uh, in my kitchen, I accepted him as my Lord and Savior. And everything changed. And uh, right away, he gave me a burden for souls. Uh, and uh, I spent the next two years finding out what happened to me, what am I now, and the Lord had me on the fast track. He sent me to Hawaii, where I got discipled, you know, that's where God sends Jews to get discipled. (laughs) And uh, then off to Israel I went and did frontline evangelism for two years, and what do we got here? Oh, there's that mug. And now I've been in L.A. doing frontline evangelism since 2000 with my wife and three kids. Uh, And the place where the Lord has sent me is Venice Beach. In case you don't know where it is, it's just south of Santa Monica. It is internationally known. People from all over the world go there. Thousands of people every day. And people are not in a rush to go anywhere. They're just strolling up and down this walkway. And uh, the enemy is out there every day. When I was searching, I, was, I had an art show down there back in the early 90s. And I was strolling up and down this walkway every day for three months. I lived on a roof there while my art show was going on. Never ran into a Christian. Never ran into a preacher. Psychics were there. The tarot card read- readers were there. And I got misled. So, there we go. Anyway, Venice is the end of the line for a lot of people. I'm going to be zipping through this, folks, just for the sake of time. Um, But if you want to get the nuts and bolts of the action at Venice, I got a um, clipboard you can fill out to get our praise reports once a month. As many of you know who get it, they are short and sweet. You just get the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, and there's a lot of ugly there, but we want to be there as a light. Uh, of course, here's the, the tarot card readers. They're there every day. You got the pot, uh, selling pot. You got the Hindus. You got the psychics. So all the wrong Jesus, folks. Lord, what can we do to direct people to you? And the Lord put it on my heart. People need to get in, into God's word. Faith comes by the word of God. Amen? And so when I was in Israel back in 1995, I become a citizen because I'm Jewish. For two years, I lived there. I learned language. 
and I got, uh, I was working at a Baptist church out there uh, as a, vo- a volunteer, and they had a whole bomb shelter full of Hebrew evangelistic material and Hebrew New Testaments. That was like a gold mine. And this stuff needs to go out. So I took it, I went to the streets, I sat at the most busy place in Jerusalem on Ben Yehuda, and I had a uh, Hebrew sign that says, Free Hebrew New Testaments, and I sat there. And the Lord brought Jews over. They took a Bible, walked away, they came and talked. Some would get all upset, and they tried to steal them and burn them. The Orthodox would call and get people to come and start a riot. I mean, it was crazy. But a lot of Jews came by and took a Bible and walked off. Seed sown. This was so successful, I got a whole story about this, where after a year of doing this, the news agency from U.S. came out. They wanted to do a story on it. And um, uh, I told them where I was going to be and when, because the anti-missionaries, they didn't know when and where I was going to be. And uh, so... They went and told the anti-missionaries where I was going to be and when. So when I showed up, this mob of young zealots surrounded me and tried to steal the Bibles and burn them. And, and uh, so I'm like, oh, I got a crowd. So I stood up on the bench and I started preaching to them. And they were going crazy. And uh, finally, I preached the word. I sowed the seed and I said, I think it's time to go. But I am not going to run. If the Lord wants me to get beat up, I'll get beat up. So I had this sign that was made out of drywall. And I walked right through the mob. The sign exploded. Fists and kicks were flying all over the place. I went right through them. I did not get a bruise, not a scratch. Amen. And I saw a bagel store. I said, oh, I'll go in there. Maybe they'll leave me alone. So I get into the bagel shop, and the mob's going crazy outside the bagel shop. And this guy I've never seen grabs me from the back and says, follow me. I'm like, okay. He takes me outside the shop, walks with me for three blocks, and the mob is following. They're not touching me when I'm with this guy. Finally, he says, go down this alley, go. And I start walking away. I'm not going to run. I will not run. And the mob catches up to me a a block away. They surround me. About eight guys are ready to pounce. And this guy shows up again, grabs me from behind. He says, follow me. Okay. He takes me down another alleyway, and he he points to this taxi coming down. He goes, get in the taxi. So I get in the taxi. The mob jumps on the taxi, starts banging on the roof, and he drives away. I get away, unscathed. I get back to the church, And the news crew shows up all bloody. They got beat up. (laughs) Amen. So praise God. Anyways, that was for me sort of a sign that maybe it was time to go. And I went back to the States and I got married uh, with my wonderful wife, Rhonda. And I started doing this Bible giveaway uh, in San Francisco, in Sodom. And so all the places where I used to party, I was there with God's word now. And people came to us. We did not hand these out. We had English and Spanish. In three years, 21,000 Bibles went out. And we verbally got to share the gospel with thousands of people and lead many to the Lord. 
So I took this to L.A., and we've magnified it. Now we have English, Spanish, Hebrew New Testaments, because a lot of Israelis go to Venice. We're out there with teams of Jews and Gentiles, all trained out there in frontline evangelism. And we have a blast. Here's a picture of our table. We keep it real simple. We don't crowd the table. The Bibles are just bait, okay, folks? Let's be honest. You can get a Bible for free anywhere on you know, the internet. But that brings people to the table that are searching The Lord says, you shall seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That's what we want to encourage people to do when they come to our table. You know, this brother that was like, you know, let's pray that this seed will magnify. That, In other words, he wants this $100 to turn into 1000 I said, brother, I'm not going to pray that. I'm going to pray that may God be glorified through this donation. And we prayed that prayer. And uh, we are a seed-sowing ministry. You know, like I said, how many times did God try to sow the seed into my life, but I wasn't ready? But it was breaking up that soil till finally it hit home and it bore fruit. And so we go out to Venice uh, once or twice a week, all year long. We have our shofars. We blow and pray before we start. The Lord teaches my ancestors, uh, Moses and Aaron, that before they went into the land to blow the trumpet and the Lord would remember you in battle and, and, and uh, scatter your enemies. So we blow the shofar before we go to battle and we blow it all day long. Let's see what it sounds like. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, I'm going to zip through the rest of this. If you want the details, you've got to sign up for the uh, praise reports because I'm going to leave you uh, with a shofar story before we leave. Here's a couple that took Bibles, got saved. Uh, that was my dog, Moodles, by the way. Here's a local Jew getting the gospel. Here's another local Jew getting the gospel. They're coming to us, folks. This is the amazing thing. Uh, here's another local Jew came, got the gospel. Here's a local, couple local Jews that got saved. Uh, right in the middle there, without the shirt. Uh, here's a local uh, a Jewish fellow that was from uh, the East Coast who came to L.A., and he got baptized and gave his life to the Lord. A couple young uh, girls, uh, come, one of them came to faith, and they both took Bibles. Uh, here's a young man who was on his way to convert to Judaism, and he got saved. Here's some Palestinians who came by our table, and initially they were hostile. But they saw the love of the Lord, and they got the gospel, and they left with the uh, uh, Bibles. You know, we waved the Israeli flag from our canopy. So more Palestinians came and got the gospel. From Jews, this is just incredible. Here's a couple of Jews that are in the homosexual lifestyle. They came and got the gospel, and we uh, pointed them to Jesus. Here's a Jew that wasn't happy with us believing in Jesus. You know. <laughs> How could you be Jewish and believe in Jesus? Well, let me tell you, she got the gospel. And this doesn't come without some persecution. This guy came and he threatened us. And there I am blowing the shofar. This guy threatened us. My dog wasn't worried about it though. (laughs) This guy went crazy on us and he claimed to be a Christian. People, I have stories, okay? Believe me. And any of you that get my news, my praise reports, you know. Uh, This lady's from a cult and she went crazy on us. It took about a, a half an hour of blowing the shofar and calling on Jesus to get rid of her. 
This guy's another part of a cult. He uh, tried to attack me five times. The Lord wouldn't allow it. Uh, another story. Uh, this guy's the warlock of Venice. He's been trying to curse me for 20 years. It hasn't worked. <laughs> this is the witch of Venice. It's not, not, not Halloween, folks. She really dresses like this. She's trying to put curses on us. Haven't seen her in four years. I don't know what happened to her. But we pray for her. And again, another Israeli came and got the gospel. This was just two weeks ago. Uh, here's a, a local uh, Jew that used to be in a tank brigade. He, got, he gets the gospel every time he comes. And he comes, he's, he comes every week. This, this guy um, I'm discipling, he's um, a Persian fellow who's searching. I'm meeting with him privately. And uh, this is a guy from Portland that was homeless. He came to faith. Oh, look at that smile. I love it. Uh, and here's a whole crew from this church that came. Yeah. You guys are incredible. I'm not kidding. Venice is not a joke. You are in the trenches there, and you never know who's going to come by that table. And all the teams you guys send are incredible. You hold your ground. You show the love of Jesus. You sow seed. I just love you guys. How many of you have come? Stand up. I want to say, God bless you guys. Who's been to Venice? Yeah, there's one. There's two. Pam, yeah, yeah, I mean, this is incredible. This is absolutely amazing. Come all the way to Bakersfield to, to pull, I'm just, uh, you guys are such an encouragement. Here's a Frenchman who came to faith. Oh, yeah, you were there, Frank, yeah, and there's uh, Miguel, yeah. Here's some kids that came by, 12, 14, 13 years old. They came to faith, took a Bible, the lady came to faith. A couple Jews from New York got the gospel. A homeless Jew came to faith. I mean, I can go on and on and on. Um, we pray for people all day long. This homeless guy got saved. This guy got saved. Oh, there's my family. Um, for time's sake, I got I to gotta cut it short, but I'm going to sh- leave you with a shofar story that happened just uh, three weeks ago. This guy came to our table, no shirt, all tattooed up, baseball cat, our glasses, looked at our Bibles, and he said, oh, this isn't for me. I'm a, I'm a long-time believer in Jesus. Okay, I'm fine. Okay, it's not for you. Can we pray for you? He always asks people if they need prayer. When I asked him if he wanted prayer, he went crazy on me and said, what, you're more spiritual than me? And I'm like, no, I just asked if you needed prayer. And he went nuts and went crazy, started throwing accusations at me. Right away, I recognized it as a spirit, a religious spirit. And he started bragging about how he knows the Bible by heart and started quoting all these scriptures. So right away, me and my team, we we recognized it right away and got up and we started coming against the devil in the name of Jesus. And he started bouncing around like 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 a monkey, going crazy and throwing accusations. So I grabbed my shofar and I started blowing it, calling on Jesus. And as soon as I did, he went nuts and ran towards me and said, don't blow that, and took a swipe at me. And I did not back down. I did not walk away. I stood my ground. I said, Lord, you want me to get hit? I'll get hit. He only was allowed to nick my shofar. And I said, thank you, Lord, because if he had hit it hard, I would be without my two front teeth. (laughs) Anyways, he ended up leaving without hurting anybody. And when I looked up after all the commotion, there was a whole crowd of people that had gathered, and they're all filming. What, you know. 
And then these two guys came by and they wanted to know the gospel. They wanted to know what's going on. They both got the gospel and one of them gave their life to the Lord. So never a dull day serving the Lord. Come by the table, sign up for the praise reports, get into the trenches with us and come and see us over there if you have any questions or anything. God bless you. Great to be back and Shalom Aleichem. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.